Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl White from the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California, and we are just so uh, delighted to be able to come to you today with two wonderful guests. We're going to be talking about building a pipeline of diverse executive leaders in the nonprofit sector with two people who have done just that. They've done it as it relates to their own life journey and where they are. Um, one's currently still a present CEO of an organization, the largest, one of the largest nonprofit association um, organization in San Diego, California, and uh, another who was formerly a CEO and is currently um, remains an executive leader in the nonprofit sector. So I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves as well as tell us a little bit about their journey and where they happen to be today. And Shonda, why don't we start with you? Yeah, thank you so much for uh, the invitation. It's so great to um, be with you and to see you uh, today by Zoom and and to be in front of this audience. Um, I'm Shauna Smith-Baker. I'm from Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, where I am um, now leading impact for the Minneapolis Foundation um, as the senior vice president. Um, I do strategy for them. I've been in this sector and this side of the field uh, for three years. And as you mentioned, I was formerly the CEO of a nonprofit. And so I am uh, really pleased to be here. I spent um, twin, or 17 years um, at that nonprofit before moving into the CEO role. So most of my career has been in the organization I left. And then now I'm transitioning to this role. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. And Rudy, could we have you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your career journey and what you're doing today? Thank you, Doc. It's good to be here with you and Shonda. Um, My name is Rudolph Johnson, President and CEO of the Neighborhood House Association. I've been in this role for 14 years, going on 15 years now. I'll tell you, time flies when you're having a good time, I guess. (laughs) Um, Prior to that, I was the general manager of the San Diego Convention Center, Um, I worked on the first expansion, large expansion of the San Diego Convention Center, um, and I was a member of the City of San Diego's team for about nine and a half years in the engineering department and council liaison for the former city manager. I'm originally from San Diego. I did my undergrad at Texas Southern, uh, HBCU. Hopefully, we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, did my graduate work at San Diego State. So, it's good to be here, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Great. Uh, thank you so much. Rudy, why don't we stay with you and ask you just to share a little bit more about what propelled you forward in your career? Well, first of all, let me just um, you know say thank you to my parents, uh, Dr. Lorraine Johnson and Rudolph Johnson, Jr., who is no longer with us. Um, they prepared me for public service early on. You know, Also, my wife, uh, Cheryl, and our two children and our granddaughter can't do anything without your family and their support. Uh, Having said that, I also want to tip my hat to HBCUs. Um, A large part of what I do and who I am is a reflection of the experience that I had at Texas Southern University. As you know, Doc, um, 
The majority of HBCUs, if you don't know, are in the inner city of that particular city that they're housed in. So you're not only going to school and getting an education, you're also getting a life experience, a true life experience, usually in the inner city. As soon as you step off that, that <laughs> campus, you know, you're right there in the thick of it. And in Houston, Texas, um, really opened my eyes to life and knowing that I wanted something better for myself and never started, stopped um, achieving, you know, a, a higher, greater use of my, my talent. And so I think that propelled me to um, really try and, and, and gain as much as I can from my life experience, my professional experience, and to continue to, to climb what we call the corporate ladder. Um, so that, that, that in a nutshell is, is where that drive comes from. It starts at Texas Southern. Okay, wonderful. And then for those who don't know what HBCU stands for, historically black colleges and universities. <laughs> if you don't know, you should you should know. Something to look up. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So family and just the um, the drive that you um, received as you engaged in the experience at Texas Southern University. Yeah, just really fighting against all odds. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when you come out of the HBCU system, they tell you right away, when you go to your first job interview, they may not identify or recognize the university that you're coming out of, right? And you're competing against the Harvards, the Yales, the Stanfords, the UC systems, et cetera, the University of California, for those of you that don't know. Um, and here I am coming from Texas Southern. And I think what you do is you really have a chip on your shoulder and you want to prove um, that you don't need the Ivy League education to be successful in any system. And so that's a driver in itself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so proud to represent HBCUs. I understand. And I can connect with that as a graduate of Grambling State University third generation in my family, um, historically black colleges, and happy to have two of my children go to Grambling that were fourth generation Grambling Knights, but haven't been um, a, an executive coach with the Center for Creative Leadership for now 20 years. I've had a lot of Ivy League grads as clients, and I can remember my earlier days, um, you know, on my bio, having Grambling State University and being assigned someone that was a graduate from an Ivy League school, wondering how they would experience that. And I am real pleased to say that I have very successful coaching relationships with each of those individuals. So um, I think we come out prepared from those, uh, from our universities that are historically black colleges to certainly um, meet the grade and uh, be successful. So wonderful. Shonda, how about for yourself? When you think about what has propelled you forward? Yeah, really interesting to, to hear about um, y'all's journey. You know, obviously, or not obviously, but my parents uh, were, were great motivators. Um, I lost my mom recently, so I am thinking oh. and reflecting a lot mm -hmm. um, this past June, thinking a lot about uh, those lessons and really just a deep appreciation for as she said, she was a mom that didn't, we couldn't get off the block. We always had to have something to do to leave the house. Like, I mean, just, she was, she was always in the school. Um, and we grew up in, in the neighborhood, as they say. And uh, she was very much um, into 
expressing to us that a neighborhood is a place that you um, give to not move necessarily from, uh, whether or not that's physically, you know, a physical move or an emotional move, but that you stay connected and you give back. And I think that constant sort of um, reinforcement of that message along with sort of our, our commitments to our church were things that really grounded and rooted me early. Um, I got to experience my family members work in the social sector. My uncle, Dr. Richard Green, was the first African-American superintendent in Minneapolis and then moved on to um, uh, the first chancellor of the New York schools, where he uh, briefly served until his untimely death in 1989. But I, but I say that because I think that um, where there is an expectation, um, you know, and you want to meet it and you're supported, um, that certainly has propelled me. I took a little bit of a different journey and, and got married young and had kids and then decided to go on to school. And so I like to say that my kids propelled me. And in the, at the time, I didn't know they were propelling me. I just thought <laughs> I was driving. I need to feed these kids. Um, I got to figure out life. And I should have probably listened more deeply to them, the lessons that they told me. But I went my own route. And um, but nonetheless, I got to Pillsbury United Communities, where I ultimately became the CEO. And it's an incredible story that I'm now now I'm owning that I came there um, in, in 2000, a single mom kind of jumping around, trying to figure it out, enrolled in some classes. And uh, 10 years later, I become the CEO and I have my undergrad and my master's degree. And, you know, it, it, it was survival matched with um, a really great foundation and a lot of drive that I just hadn't tapped into. And so I, I, I bring that up and I'm, and I'm more and more comfortable sharing that because I came to an organization that was seeking someone that, that had a degree. And, um, and for those organizations that are seeking degrees and missing the opportunity to connect with people that can do the work because they're not mutually exclusive. And so I'm really, um, you know, owe a lot to that organization for seeing what I had to offer despite their qualifications they were seeking and then supporting me to get them um, was just an incredible gift. Tony Wagner, who I work for, um, the audience can't see me. I'm black woman. He's an older white guy. Um, you know, I got to, I got to, learn leadership under his direction and I will be forever appreciative. And he really showed me what it means to be a high trust, a high, highly connected forward thinking leader. And I, I, I owe a lot to him. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. You know, as you were sharing, there were um, so many things that were popping uh, in my mind, um, thinking about um, my parents that are also both um, now have passed on. And I know, uh, as Rudy indicated, his father had. And I always think of how um, there's nothing like death that puts life into perspective. And what really has us kind of reflect back and think about all the lessons um, that were um written in our souls um, and how we can go back and recall and just uh, remember. Um, and then thinking about, you know, your journey with regards to your parents' uh, engagement in social services. And um, Rudy, I know your dad has um, steep um, service uh, background as well as, you know, not only uh, his connection to the neighborhood house, um, but the city of San Diego, I had the pleasure of working with your dad and he gave me opportunities that certainly helped to propel me forward. 
and I uh, will forever remember him and be appreciative of the work that I uh, actually had an opportunity to do with your father at the city of San Diego. Looks like we are going to be going to break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask each of you to share a little bit more about um, anything that may have come up in your mind, uh, Rudy, as Shonda shared, but then also what were some of the challenges that you encountered along the way? And because um, I think the journey is always um, with opportunities and also we can learn how we turn those stumbling blocks into stepping stones. So stay with us and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we are back with more on Leadership Matters. Today, we're talking about building a pipeline of diverse executive leaders in the nonprofit sector. And with us today, we have two uh, very successful individuals who've done just that. Rudolph A. Johnson, President and CEO of the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California, and Shonda Smith-Baker, Senior Vice President of Impact at Minneapolis Foundation. Uh, welcome back to both of you and to our listening audience and uh, looking forward to hearing more about your journey. Shonda, may we go back to you and ask you to share what challenges did you encounter along the way? 
<laughs> along the way this month, last week. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I uh, you know, I also I have a, a podcast that I have um, too called Conversations with Shonda, and um, what just came to mind is a conversation I had with Don, uh, Dr. Ron Heifetz. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership on the line, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, leading through dangerous times. And I was kind of coming out of George Floyd in the aftermath of that. And here I am in the city. And um, I mentioned uh, before the break that my mom recently passed away and she came home for hospice two days before that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm caring for my mom during the George Floyd murder, the unrest. And when you're in these roles, you there's an expectation that you show up um, in the role and really just trying to navigate what does it mean to lead while you're going through really personal, deep challenges and, um, and, and, and all the things that show up during that time. And I remember Heifetz saying that a part of leadership is getting your heart broken, um, you know, kind of over and over again. And I, and I would say that there's a piece of that is very true. And I think it's important to understand that in perspective that there's so much joy and opportunity and honor in leading in these spaces. Um, but I think you have to embrace that the ride is not smooth and people will disappoint and you will disappoint yourself. And I think, you know, the deeper challenges uh, for me have been, you know, really wrestling as a mom, as, as a daughter and trying to think about how to um, manage the expectation um, of myself and others um, when I just kind of want to sit it all down mm-hmm. and understanding that um, once you kind of meet that demand, that's not possible in the same way it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some ownership there that has been a, a complicated theme for me um, because I, I can't, you can't ignore those issues because I think that's where we, uh, primarily Black women, get into trouble of, of stuffing and Black leaders do, right, and that culminate in health issues. But then I think there's other things around even just changing um, sectors, even related, where I'd been in an organization for 17 years, and then I go over to philanthropy, and it's like, well, what does it mean to be over here? And I think the challenge of change, um, the more personal it becomes, and I think you just have to rely on the leadership skills that got you there to maintain you, the faith, the relationships, the network. And so um, I am probably of the belief that there's not a challenge that you can't meet. If you know that uh, if you if you already know you can't do it by yourself, you don't feel alone in it. So that's kind of my philosophy around it. Wonderful. Thanks, uh, Shonda. How about for yourself, Rudy? What challenges have you encountered along the way? Wow. Like Shonda, you know, I mean, how much time do we have? Right. (laughs) And and what day is it? What hour is it? Um, But but let me say a couple things, because I think this may be helpful to your audience, especially aspiring um, African-American leaders that may or may not want to achieve professional development. I think the first thing is that there are three steps in developing talent. Number one is identifying raw talent. And that's something that I really prided myself on because I was discovered. I was discovered by a white male. His name was Jack McGorry. He was the city manager at the time. And He plucked me out of an engineering department where uh, my career was becoming stagnant, and he allowed me to blossom as a council liaison and really, you know, uh, come on the scene, so to speak. So identifying raw talent. Step two, 
refining the raw talent. It's not enough to just have talent. Then you have to have what I call depth and breadth of experience. What does that mean? Individuals have to put you in a situation where you really hone in on refining your skill set, budget management, uh, meet and confer, um, writing, fundraising, uh, community interface, political acumen, and the list goes on and on and on because um, whether you're black, white, or whatever, straight, gay, whatever, if you're going to be an executive, you need that skill set. There's no way around that. And a woman by the name of Carol Wallace helped me, an African-American woman, helped me refine my skill set. She gave me those tools that I needed to be a very, very successful executive. And then you need grace. That's the third piece. Grace to let these individuals go and fly as high as they can. And Carol taught me grace. After she refined my skill set and I worked under her tutelage, she allowed me to fly away and become a president and CEO of one of the largest nonprofits in San Diego. So I say that to say that's kind of how I you know, manage as an executive. I identify raw talent, I try to refine it, and I have to have the grace internally to let them go and let them develop. We don't do that very well in the African-American community. Those three phases are tough for us. Um, when we see raw talent, sometimes we want to step on it. We don't do well developing raw talent and giving individuals the depth and breadth of experience through special assignments and things of that nature that they're going to need to be successful. And we're terrible at grace. We don't want individuals to leave us once we feel like we've identified, we develop them. Um, and, and so those three steps are very, very rare in our community. And I want these youngsters that are developing their skill set to understand everything is possible as long as you kind of follow um, that rule of thumb. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Rudy. I appreciate your sharing that. Shonda, if we were to ask you maybe to um, reflect on what has fortified you and what's kept you going, what thoughts might you share? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think, um, you know, I mean, there's been, there's so many things that are satisfying about this work, right? You know, for me, it's giving back to a community that's given so much to me. Um, I love the complexity and the challenge of community work. Um, I, I have had a wonderful opportunity of, of being seen for the talent that I could bring and being developed. And I've also had the opportunity to, to, um, to encourage uh, folks that are coming in with raw talent and then watching them ascend into their own roles of leadership. And um, it's just, it's really uh, satisfying. I think there's times in the, in, the, in the social sector that you could look at all of the challenges that we're here to make a difference on. And you could think that it's your job again to solve them all. But I think that if you understand what your role is within that ecosystem, what your purpose is and what you're here to contribute, um, I think just really aligning um, the work that I do with my values, my passion, my interest, 
and my commitment to the community. And so I think anytime I have felt off center, mm-hmm. um, making sure that I am, uh, you know, assessing, taking time to reflect, to kind of get on that balcony, to figure out what, what am I doing that needs to change. Um, and so I think that there is something that uh, is in it for me that is definitely, um, you know, I, I, there's not that many days in my career that I would say this is not the work for me. Wonderful. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think I think that's um, a lot that um, both have you of you have shared, and uh, Rudy, you know, you're um, talking about the identifying the raw talent, refining it, and allowing for them to be this death and breath of experience. I'm sure um, many of us, myself included, can um, attest to your. Um, living that at Neighborhood House, and Shonda certainly sounds like uh, Tony actually um, gave you that opportunity, and um, the community is certainly reaping the benefits of your having stepped into your own, and I know you've done the same uh, with regards to staff that you've left at Pillsbury. I know that the CEO was someone who you, <laughs> the current one, yeah, is, he is he still as, there? He is still <laughs> there. Adair, just while telling my sister <laughs> thought we would work well together, and we, we completely clicked. I, you know, I still, he's part of my uh, COVID bubble, so I see him quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, but he came on not long after I became CEO as an executive in an executive assistant role, and now he is the CEO of that organization. Um, he's just an incredible uh, person that's given a lot uh, to this community. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love your um, your thoughts with regards to what has kept you fortified, just the whole um, being able to hone in on, you know, what is your role and um, – and what are you here to contribute and how that reflection and how that continuing align, aligning with your values and your intended contribution serves as fuel to keep you going. How about for yourself, uh, Rudy, if you were to think about what has helped to fortify you and what has kept you going? Well, that that said, no, thank you for that question. It's an interesting question because when I first took the job, you know, back in 2006, what what I saw was an organization that could um, strive to be what I call excellence in their excellent in their service delivery system. And what do I mean by that? You know, I grew up poor. I grew up in a poor neighborhood. We understood what canned peanut butter and the whole commodity distribution process was. Not a lot of folks know about commodities, but you go into these dark buildings Uh, They're not well kept. um, And you're really kind of asking for a hand out. um, And you really have your head down as you're asking for it because that's how they treat you. And I said, if I'm going to be in the business of delivering social services, we're going to do it with excellence, with pride, and we're going to do it with the dignity of the recipients in mind. So that's how I came into the role in 2006. Now, in 2020, Mm -hmm. I see it as a big business. Number one, I'm maintaining 850 jobs. Mm -hmm. And every day that I wake up, um, that is front and center for me. You know, we need to maintain uh, the livelihoods of the men and women that go to work and put it all on the line for us every single day. My job is to keep that moving. 
-hmm. We have bills to pay. We have kids we have to send to school. We have to eat, et cetera. And so from that perspective, I see it a little different. And then the economic contribution. And so, Rudy, I want you to hold that thought. The economic contribution. And then the rest of that, too. We have to take another commercial break. But when we come back, I'm just going to toss it right back to you to have you to to just continue to share um, your thoughts on that. And then also, I'll ask each of you to share a little bit about how you've given back and how you've helped others. Because I think that that's something that can be a testimony and add to the roadmap for others as we go through this journey. So please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Management. Matters. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We are back with more on Leadership Matters. Today, we're discussing building a pipeline of diverse executives um, in the nonprofit sector. And our guest, Rudolph A. Johnson, President and CEO of Neighborhood House Association, and Shonda Smith-Baker, Senior Vice President of Impact for Minneapolis Foundation. Uh, again, thank you to both of you for being with us. And Rudy, I'm going to just toss it right back over to you to kind of finish your thoughts as you were sharing on what has really helped you keep going. So I was really talking about the economic impact that 
uh, most nonprofits have in their respective cities. I know in San Diego, we're about a $200 million a year impact, which is not a small piece of change. And you, you couple that with 850 FTEs, um, and, and you're really pushing um, weight locally in the, um, in the economy. And we've broken those 850 FTEs down by council districts. So we can tell you exactly where our team um, works in these various districts and how much through payroll distribution is landing in these districts every two weeks. And when council members come in and they see that type of data, it's a different conversation. And so as I'm working as the president and CEO, I'm working towards the social mission, but it's also my job to continue to remind individuals we're a large player uh, in the local economy. And so I'm very bullish on that, very proud of it. And I'll say this and, and end with this. Most people of color work for one of two or three types of entities. We either work for the government, nonprofits, or in some cases, very small for-profit organizations. We're not the, the majority in the Coca-Cola system or, you know, or the um, other large for-profit systems, but in government and nonprofit can find us plentiful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, thank you, Rudy. I'm going to stay with you and just ask you to share a little bit on how you have reached back to help others uh, in this space, which I think you've already began to share some of that, but i have you just maybe peel back some other layers and, and share more. Well, first of all, four or five years ago, I made a huge commitment to the HBCU recruiting process. So four times a year prior to COVID, I was actually going to HBCU campuses and really recruiting and making job offers where we could and trying to bring those youngsters to San Diego. So that was number one. Number two, developing, as we talk about, Doc, internally, our bench strength. And you've been a part of that process where we identify, um, you know, three or four candidates on a rotational basis to work directly with me as the liaison to the president and CEO for six months to seven months at a time. And it's really given them an opportunity to build their skill set so they can be more competitive either inside the system or externally. And then lastly, what we've tried to do is engage the community at large and really identify opportunities even inside our own, own organization. This is where the grace comes in. There may be opportunities outside that I can refer some of our um, managers to so they can become executives outside of our organization. Mm -hmm. And so those are three ways that we're really trying to develop, refine, and let go and let fly um, the bench strength internally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, I might add to um, having the the pleasure and privilege of serving on your executive team, Seeing the internship program as also a wonderful opportunity with regards to uh, pipelining uh, individuals for success and um, 
seeing people go through our internship program and then come back to work for the agency, which I know is definitely part of um, your vision. And um, the um, success of the individuals that have served um, in the temporary rotation assignments, I can think of um, where they are post having had that experience within our organization and um, those who have actually joined the, the executive team um, after that experience. So I think those are wonderful um, pipeline development opportunities um, that. Um, well, you know, uh, let me we had a, an actually an, an opportunity yeah. just to see how well it works, I guess is what I'm. And, and, and as you as you both know, it's tough for our children to get true work experience as they're matriculating through their college, you know, experience and really getting that experience in their area of major. And so they're not going to be at a disadvantage when they get to their first interview. They're going to be able to source the experience that they had inside of our organization and be competitive. And that really is what this thing is all about, putting folks in a very good position as they're competing outside for these very limited opportunities. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, Thank you. And Shonda, as you think about your journey and your reaching back, could you share a little bit more about maybe how you've done that that might be helpful for others to hear? Yeah, I was thinking about the term reaching back and what and how I would express that. I think the um, I think what I would say is that how I'm in relationship with others mm-hmm. um, is um, with real intention. There are uh, not a lot of us uh, folks of color in philanthropy in our city. And, you know, there's a growing number of people that are, are in this uh, sector. Um, And so I make sure that I am in relationship with um, those other women, uh, primarily black women uh, in the field and others, but primarily a group that uh, feeds me and that I can be there to inspire, to encourage, um, to show up for, to sponsor, to all of those types of things. And, And I think that that's really important to be able to give back because there are things and lessons that I've learned that are really appropriate um, opportunities to provide advice um, or or counsel when when folks are going through it. I think that in part how you give back um, is by modeling and understanding the the expectation that has been placed upon you and uh, knowing that people are watching when you know you may not know. Um, So I really try to operate with a level of integrity that uh, hopefully does not disappoint (laughs) the observer. Um, And I think I have, I do have a commitment in my roles. I always um, make sure that I'm hiring sort of the unlikely candidate um, where I know I'm going to make investment. Um, I think that there are rooms that I can get in that I can introduce and say names in that people may not ever know that give them an opportunity to perhaps have a seat, to get a grant, to get a job, um, whatever those things are. Um, I'm always trying to be available. Um, I'm extremely accessible in that way. And then I would say the other thing too, is that even within the organizations, whether or not I was in the CEO role or the role that I'm in now, there are staff within our organizations that are dealing with um, challenges. So either things that they're trying to navigate or things that they're trying to achieve. 
And um, I have found, um, I think, a sweet spot of not interfering um, outside of my role, but being a person to say, here's my observation, to provide maybe some coaching, um, particularly for the staff of color that are trying to navigate, where I'm not excusing anyone's behavior, but I'm focusing on you're going to encounter lots of difficult people, difficult challenges and circumstances. These are the people that I think you should be in connection with that can provide you um, the way to respond. Because I think that one of the ways that we don't move forward is we allow our frustrations to show um, and we get off of our game, right? Like we, we start like getting ruffled and, and I think you have to be able to maintain confidence and, and circumstances and then you need to go to your little home team and be like, oh, no, what just happened to me, you know, um, and, and gear up for the next the next ride. And so, um, you know, I am uh, hoping that I'm being as central as I can every day in terms of creating a new way for the next generation, for being a resource to my peers um, and um, to being responsive. And I guess the last thing is, is that while I work in the social sector, I have committed a lot of my volunteer time into the sector and space as well. I have served on numerous boards. And um, I say that because I think it's an additional way that I can give back and contribute to the community. But I also think that it's a wonderful way to understand the world more broadly and to expand your network. And so I just think that um, contributing and and participating in um, opportunities to develop yourself and to be at tables is important to one's development and subsequently opportunities that will emerge as part of that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Chandra, I want to ask to you to um, begin to share. I know we'll probably get a, um, a stop in a moment here, but really reflecting on, you know, what might others do to help to dismantle racism and advanced inclusion, equity, well-being, success, of all people, um, those who have been systemically oppressed, as well as the oppressor. You know, what are your thoughts when you kind of reflect on that um, intentional work? Yeah, this is an an exercise for bystanders. Um, So, you know, I would say that the first thing is to be really reflective on how you've been complicit, uh, the work that you have been part of, understanding its history, um, and, and its impact on community and um, to, to participate in your own learning. You know, I was responsible for leading a very diverse organization in, inside of the city. I could think that I had it all figured out um, as a person of color coming from the neighborhood, leading a diverse organization. I don't have it figured out. I have to commit to learning and understanding other people's cultures, um, backgrounds, and history so that I can be the best person I can be in terms of leading an inclusive environment. Okay. And I want to hear more of your thoughts on that on the other side of our commercial. And then also, um, Rudy, love to hear your thoughts on that as well. So please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We are back with more on Leadership Matters. Shanta, I'm going to ask you just to jump right back in and um, share with us your thoughts on how we might be intentional about this work of dismantling racism and advancing inclusion and equity, well-being, and the success of all people, those who have been systemically oppressed as well as the oppressors. Yeah, so, you know, before the break, I was talking about the importance of just sort of reflecting on the roles that we have individually played and our institutions have played um, and then doing learning. What I would also say is that you, I think it's important that as we enter into roles of leadership, that you develop the skill to be able to, um, with courage, call out behaviors and actions and practices and policies that don't advance um, equity. But you have to be able to do that in a way that still brings people along with you. And so I think that this is, this is, a, is a, an art, not a science. Um, you have to find ways that feel comfortable. You have to know when and how um, to call them out. And um, I think knowing um, and understanding your realm of influence and control and doing the best within that and influencing um, the rest. And so, you know, it's a really complicated thing. Um, again, in my conversation with Heifetz on my podcast, we talked about um, tokenization, right? I'm also a woman, a person of color that has certainly um, had my fair share of challenges um, along these issues. Um, and I think going in, you hear people saying, well, I don't want to be the teacher. Well, if you're in leadership, you're the teacher. <laughs> and um, there are things that you have to accept. You're the learner, but you're also the teacher. 
And um, I think it's important as we are looking at our young people looking to us um, to, to advance on these issues that we operate with the degree of enthusiasm, intentionality, and boldness around issues of equity. Wonderful. Thank you. Rudy, what might you add uh, to that thought? Wow. You know, I, I, I loved everything I heard. First of all, it is complicated, you know, and it's always going to be complicated. Um, I believe organizations have to establish an atmosphere of inclusion organically, because if you force it, it's going to always feel forced, right? And in order for it to be organic, it really starts with the man or woman in the mirror, right? And he or she has to look at themselves and say, is this something I embrace? And if I do, um, as you say, doc, all the time, you have to practice that behavior at the top, right? And I think individuals start to understand as you start to build out your executive team and management team, et cetera, you embrace the diversity that you serve and you want it from all pockets of the um, community. And most of us that get to this position probably have managed inside an organization that doesn't look like us. Let me say that, (laughs) you know, well, let me say I did. (laughs) I'm not going to speak for everyone, but hello. Um, I see Shonda raising her hand. Yeah, I saw her raise her (laughs) hand too over there. The audience can't see it, but you know, (laughs) here's the thing. We've always probably been one of, you know, 10 or 20 in the room our whole career until you get to a point to where you can be a little bit more, um, aggressive about how you set and create um, your, your work environment and your workforce. And so that being said, it starts with just being comfortable around different individuals. I think you get your best results when you have a variety of thought processes, really, because individuals bring in different perspectives, different life experiences, and you really make great decisions as an organization. Now, here's where it gets tough. Mm -hmm. It gets tough because as leaders, we're lazy. As executives, we want everyone to be monolithic in their thinking. We want everyone to almost look like us because we can relate to them. That will make for a very easy peasy day for us. We have to make a decision that we want to be uncomfortable as we embrace different perspectives. And it's going to be work because the more diverse your team is, the more you as the leader is going to have to work on those relationships. You're the bridge builder, right? So you have this pocket, this pocket, you're the bridge. You have to work that relationship. It takes. And so if you're lazy, this is not the game for you, right? You need to be involved. You need to be in it. You need to be reflective of the community. And I think over time, organically, it's going to permeate your organization and how you do business. Can I, can I play on something? Because I think, yeah, I think the comment in terms of like embracing the diversity of thought and what I was thinking is hard to embrace the diversity of thought when you're not comfortable presenting your own thinking. Mm -hmm. And because this is a pipeline conversation and I'm thinking about my own 
um, sort of journey in my career where I've never, doc, doc, like, I was like, Dr. White, you, you know, like, right, like, <laughs> I, I'm always over here on the left. Everybody <laughs> over here, I'm over here somewhere. And, um, and I've gotten, I got very comfortable with that, right? Like, my mom would say, I came out the womb asking why. Uh, you know, I'm someone that likes to discover. You know, I got very comfortable with saying, I actually think about this differently. And I think that, you know, being comfortable with bringing yourself to work allows for the advancement of equity. It allows for a more inclusive environment and it, it allows for a more enjoyable work experience when you can, you don't have to go and talk about what you thought later. And obviously there's time, but I think that as you grow into leadership roles, if you were uncomfortable bringing your voice, then you're going to be uncomfortable with other people bringing their voice. And I think it's an important connection to make. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Love you it. Know, and and uh-huh. let me add to Please. that. Uh-huh. I, probably halfway through my career as president and CEO, one of my uh, chairs pulled me to the side. And this individual said, Rudy, you have to get involved in, you know, organizations that don't look like the Neighborhood House Association. And I didn't understand what that individual was trying to tell me, but what he was saying to me is that you have to lean into discomfort and you have to get into organizations and understand how they operate. So I served on the board of the San Diego Chamber of Commerce, the uh, Red Cross San Diego, the uh, EDC, the Economic Development Corporation, well, I'm the only African-American sitting around the table, but I needed to understand that perspective so that I could be a better advocate for the Neighborhood House Association as we're going through our decision-making processes. Mm-hmm. And so you do have to lean into discomfort and bring some of that experience back to your reality um, as you're trying to be a better executive. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you both. I, I think you've shared um, such good um, words of wisdom. Final thoughts. Um, Shonda, why don't we have you go first? Is there a final thought you'd like to share? I just think that, you know, leadership is something that uh, I really just enjoy being part of, right? I love, you know, I'm the one on ESPN watching the stories of the athletes. You know, I love watching um, someone that came into an organization unsure, ascended to a leadership role and, and become a CEO or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's so important to just take notice of where you are making progress because it's so easy to, to like look for these big things, but I celebrate, um, the successes of others on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think we have a responsibility in the roles we have, um, to create a better future and to bring people along. Wonderful. Rudy, final thought from yourself. Just want to congratulate you and your team. I hope we got that 100th listener today. Uh, if we didn't, you know, we 100,000 that would be. 100,000 <laughs> listener, 100,000. Those are three, six, zero, or five zeros and a one. Um, but yeah, I, everything that was said today uh, was just enjoyable being here. Congratulations to you, mm-hmm. Doc. Thank you. Um, And again, thank you so much. We appreciate each of you stopping by and sharing your thoughts. And we certainly appreciate our listening audience for tuning in. Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Leadership Matters. Or download us if you can't. If you can't um, listen to us uh, live, feel free just to uh, go to the 
um, podcast directory and download us and uh, just know that we are thinking about what might we do, how might we contribute to supporting you with Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Thank you.